Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. We are going to pick up our series in Revelation somewhat this morning. We're going to dive into that sort of Revelation chapter 6 coming up in two weeks on January the 22nd. Uh, This morning we're going to do some preliminary stuff. Next week we'll give some larger perspective on Revelation, uh, big picture Revelation. Then on the 22nd we'll actually dive into Revelation chapter 6. The Merriam-Webster's word of the year for 2022 was the word gaslighting. Uh, That term may be familiar to many of you, uh, particularly if you're in the field of of psychology or counseling or therapy, that sort of thing. Uh, Gaslighting is officially defined as this in a Merriam-Webster's dictionary. It's a psychological manipulation of a person, usually over an extended period of time that causes the victim to question the validity of their own thoughts, perception of reality, or memories, and typically leads to confusion, loss of confidence and self-esteem, uncertainty of one's emotional or mental stability, and a dependency on the perpetrator. That's the official Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition of the word gaslighting. Again, that was the word for 2022. If you're kind of, again, familiar with some of those areas of study, it's a very, very serious term. It often happens as a definition expresses when somebody is so manipulated and controlled or their thoughts are so questioned that they begin to doubt their own interpretation of reality. Often gaslighting is used to cover up some sort of abusive situation. And the abuser causes the victim to doubt reality so much that after a while, the victim begins to question their own sanity, whether or not they're really reading the situation. They begin to question things that to other people on the outside are very obvious, but because of the level of manipulation, they begin to question their own sanity and whether or not their own thoughts, what they're perceiving is actually legitimate and often abuse continues for a very long period of time because of that level of gaslighting. The word was actually taken from a 1938 British play, and it was had subsequent film adaptations called Gaslight. And in that film, there was a husband who tried to trick his wife into believing that she was going crazy and couldn't trust her own perceptions. He caused the house gas lights to flicker and dim but he tried to convince her that the lighting was always like it used to be. And so the word gaslighting actually is based in that 1938 play where this husband causes the gas lights in his house to flicker, meanwhile manipulating his wife, trying to talk her into the fact that nothing has changed at all. I certainly want to kind of maintain the focus of that word for the field of psychology and, and interactions and abuse and that sort of thing. At the same time, I just want to borrow it slightly because in many ways, as followers of Jesus, sometimes we can begin to question whether or not we are crazy. We speak about who God is. 
We speak of his love. We speak of truth. And in a culture that says, you're nuts if you speak of truth. You're nuts if you have any kind of confidence in, in knowing spiritual truth. We can often begin to doubt whether or not we might be crazy. Are you crazy for being gathered here around a book that's over 2,000 years old? Are we crazy for worshiping a God that we've really never seen with our own physical eyes? Are those who are volunteering at this very moment changing diapers, teaching small children, interacting with their students, leading groups, are they crazy? Are those of you who give financially on a regular basis and contribute to God's work around, are you crazy? Those of you who try to live in such a way that represents the teachings of Christ, whether it's through your attitudes or actions, are you crazy? Are we crazy? And so one of the reasons why we actually gather on Sunday mornings, one of the reasons why we gather in groups is simply to remind ourselves that we're not crazy. That our goal is to actually align ourselves with God's truth and that God's truth is the fundamental reality in which we live. In fact, I would say the whole book of Revelation, if you could almost maybe put a crass theme on it, would be the Apostle John giving the revelation of Jesus and saying to his listeners, you're not crazy. You may be persecuted. You may be facing difficulties and hardships. You may feel defeated, but you are not crazy. And friends, when we sing together, we sing to remind those around us we're not crazy. When we pray, when we read scripture, when we look into God's word, at the base of it all is reorienting ourselves to say, you're not crazy. That God's truth is real. It's the foundation for our lives. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. It's kind of a prelim to going into the uh, rest of our series, Kingdom and Conflict, on Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. We're not going to get into this verse in too much detail this morning, but just to go back there. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 says this. The revelation from Jesus Christ. Those are the first five words of the book of Revelation. By the way, before I uh, forget it, uh, let it slip my mind. Uh, one of the things we offer here at Southridge is a little message series notebooks, a little pamphlets. Uh, basically, in them, you'll simply see a schedule of Sundays, a bunch of black lines. Uh, so nothing is filled in. Uh, we simply offer them for you to be able to scratch some notes down, look at that during the week, pick it up as a reminder to go over some things that we might have looked at in the morning. And so they're on the back tables. They're out in the foyer as well. Really encourage you to grab one of them, uh, write a few notes so that you can continue to remember and continue to let soak into your mind what we talk about on Sunday mornings. Revelation 1.1, the revelation from Jesus Christ. Commentators aren't sure whether or not that's actually translated from or about. Probably it's a combination of both. But here's the deal, friends. 
it starts out with the word revelation. In other words, this is God revealing to us who he is. If I were to kind of give a critique of our culture and even personally my own life or, or our mindset toward how we perceive God, I would say this and see if this resonates with you. We live in a culture where we don't value revelation, we value intuition. Now, intuition shouldn't be thrown away. God gave us a sense of intuition. But here's what I want you to understand. Every day of our lives, you have to make a decision as to whether you follow revelation or intuition. And we live in a culture that sort of epitomizes intuition. In fact, intuition is sort of the sum total of what it means to pursue spiritual truth. We pursue spiritual truth according to our intuition. We pursue spiritual truth according to what makes sense to us. The only challenge with that is that the scripture says it's actually revelation from which we get truth rather than intuition. In fact, if I were to honestly look at myself, scripture would tell me, Nathan Tucky, your intuitions are off. Your spiritual intuition is messed up. Your spiritual intuition will actually lead you in the wrong direction. That's why you need revelation. John was writing to these people, and what he was basically saying is this. Look, guys, you can't live in the world around you simply based on intuition. It won't lead you in the right direction. Exactly what we idolize in our culture, John is saying, if you follow your intuition, you're not going to follow the right path. Instead, you need to follow the revelation of Jesus. So, friend, I would just simply encourage you as we go throughout the series, one, again, the reason that we gather here is not to bring all of our intuitions. And if I, as the pastor of this church, ever sort of get up here and say, well, this is kind of like what I think and what I feel, like I shouldn't be here. Because it's not about my intuition. It's not about your intuition. It's about who Jesus is and how he's revealed himself. Sometimes it's easy to base our thought process and our spirituality on intuition rather than revelation. What else does he say? He says this. This is Revelation chapter, or I'm sorry. Yeah, further in Revelation, here's what he, um, he, here's what he says. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who uh, is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the, revel, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Right out from the chute, John is saying this. Jesus is the one who's revealed himself. And for us to live within the story of God's truth, we need to know what the story is. But one of our built-together goals that we, um, we kind of 
went through back in the fall. Simply, we wanted our church at Southridge to be more kind of aware and familiar with the storyline of Scripture. We're going to take the first step on that today. Uh, You're going to hear a whole lot more about it in months in the future, even years in the future. Uh, We're just kind of tipping our toe into it this morning. Uh, But we really feel like it's important for us to know the storyline of Scripture. So I'm going to refer to this in just a bit. Uh, but, But here's the deal, friends. In, Je- in Revelation 1, 4, and 5, John is saying to them, the story of the real revealed God has everything to do with the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, you and I live in a world where the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is at work. In other words, unless you're living in that world, Unless you're living according to that storyline of the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're not living in the true storyline of planet Earth, of this world. That's what he says. And so we're going to look at the story. Notice he says, he begins by saying, grace and peace to you. My guess is that probably if we took a poll in this room, Most of us would say, yes, in 2023, I want a higher sense of the lavishness of God's kindness to me. I want a higher sense of living in peace. I want a higher level of rest for my soul. I want a higher level of joy in the goodness of God that's expressed to me. I want a higher level of understanding and receiving and knowing the graciousness of our God. Most of us would say that. We want exactly what John is wishing for his hearers. He says to them, grace and peace to you. We want that grace and peace. But here's the deal. That grace and peace doesn't simply come sort of dumped out in the bucket. It doesn't come dumped out in a bucket any more than if I say to you, hey, safe travels. That kind of assumes a few things. If I say to you, safe travels, that kind of assumes that you're going to go the right way on on one-way streets. That kind of assumes that when you go down the highway, you're going to be within reason of the speed limit. If I say, say safe travels to you, that kind of implies that you're going to stop at stop signs and stop at red lights. If I say safe travels, it typically means that I'm going to assume that you're going to follow yield signs. Certainly, there's always the danger of other drivers doing something and your life being in jeopardy. But when I say safe travels, I'm sort of making the assumption that that's going to happen within the context of following the storyline of how you're to drive. So when John says grace and peace, he's not simply saying, hey, simply pray for it and forget about it. God's going to pour it out on you like a a cup of grace and peace. No, he connects them being filled with grace and peace to living within the storyline of the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if you want grace and peace, the goal isn't simply to kind of sit back and just pray for it. It's actually say like, okay, how do I live within the storyline of how God gives us his grace and his peace? How do I live within that? How do I live in a way that's consistent with the work of 
what the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ, the Son, are doing in this world? How do I live in that space? Just like when Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. My guess is you probably won't walk out of these doors and suddenly there'll be a hot meal just out on the patio. Maybe so. God could do that. But when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, typically that also implies that there's some action on your part to receive from God the fulfillment of that prayer request to him. And so when John says grace and peace, there's some sense where he's not just saying, hey, hope it all works out. It's going to be this magic wand if it's going to be dumped on your head. No, instead, there's this sense that you need to live consistently and within the story of how God is at work. We're going to look at kind of the story this morning, and you've seen bits and pieces of this before, uh, but we're going to kind of go through it in fairly quick fashion this morning and just kind of, because I think it's a springboard to our series in Revelation. The story begins with creation, God creating. In the beginning, God created. By the way, it's fascinating. In the first one or two verses of Genesis 1, the Trinity is mentioned. God said, the Spirit hovers over the surface of the waters. And then also, it says God speaks, which later on we find out God speaking is the word of Jesus Christ. And so in Genesis chapter 1, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The story begins with the work of the Trinitarian God. Revelation chapter 1, the final book in the New Testament, right up front, it begins with a reference to the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the first part of the story is that we're created, that we're here by God's divine intention, that we're here because God desires us to be here. You know, in our day, we often hear of the deaths of despair and deaths of desperation. Deaths of despair often reference those who tragically and sadly take their lives. They're deaths of despair. We also hear about deaths of desperation where people carry out sort of these um, acts of heinous tragedy and violence where lives are taken and people are shot and killed. And it's a sense that there's both despair and there's desperation. And certainly while that may not be kind of the experience of, of many of us in this room, the fact of the matter is the reason we have death and despair in our world the reason we feel disconnected is because we were created for connection. We were created to enjoy God. Now, last week I talked about the song in Revelation chapter 4, where there's a song of worthy is God because he is creator. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, she was a Victorian English poet. She wrote these words, earth's crammed with heaven. And every common bush a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. Let me ask you a question, friends. How much do you live in the story of the beauty and wonder of God's creation? How long has it been since you've taken off your shoes, metaphorically? Because the ground on which you stand is holy ground. 
Our culture longs for the transcendence. Our culture longs for something that's outside of what it can experience. How long has it been since you've looked at a tree and taken your shoes off because you stand on holy ground? Loved here, John talking about his newborn baby. Joe is every person because we're made in the image of God. Every person, we stand on holy ground. Do we treat people that way? No. It's actually one of the reasons why our culture is so profane, why it's so crass. It's because we've lost the sense of wonder and enchantment with God. Let me ask you a question. How, how enchanted would you say our world is? We don't live with enchantment. We can explain it all. It's all biology. It's all science. Yes, science is helpful. It's wonderful. But beyond that, there's the beauty that we're here because we're created by God. Next, there's separation. That's the storyline of Scripture. You're created. There's a sense of beauty and wonder. Every bush is aflame with God's presence. When you eat lunch, your food is aflame with God's presence. Do you live with a sense of holy wonder? Do you live with taking off your shoes? There's also separation. In Genesis, we're told this. Therefore, the Lord God banished him, that is Adam and Eve, sent him out of the garden of Eden. Here's the deal, friends. The soles of our feet have never been on Eden's soil. But our souls and spirits continually hear Eden's song. Your feet have never touched the soil of Eden. By the way, the word Eden simply means delight and pleasure. Your shoes have never touched the ground of Eden, but the whisper of Eden is in your soul. The longing that you have comes from the longing that Eden produces. That's exactly why we have despair, because we sense that somehow we're created for something more and yet we feel that we're so far distant from that which we're created for. We feel outside of ourselves. Our beings are disconnected from the reality around us. There's separation. It's interesting, I was thinking about this. You know, we've mentioned a number of groups that we have coming up. One of them is a marriage group. John mentioned that. I remember a professor in seminary telling me this, Stop telling us this. He said, you know what? He said, there, there is no such thing as a two compatible people in a marriage. That has everything to do with separate. Like many of you are married. And maybe you're struggling with your marriage. Well, of course you are. Like, if, like if, if you're not struggling, probably something is wrong. Because God created marriage back here. And ever since there's separation, of, of course you have marriage problems. Because every single one of us are separated from the original design. And so this idea of separation isn't simply theological, it's not simply theoretical. We feel that emotionally. We feel that relationally. 
We feel the sense of separation. We feel the sense of loneliness. Some of us might have come out of the holidays, and the holidays were difficult because loved ones had been lost. Maybe there were unpleasant family interactions and dynamics. Why do you feel the pain of that? You feel the pain of separation from the original design. You feel the pain of being disconnected from God's original dream. Next, there's anticipation all the way throughout the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, we looked at on Christmas services about the, the table and the tabernacle, the bread of God's presence. And so whether it's crossing the Red Sea or whether it's wandering in the wilderness, whether it's making sacrifices, whether it's the table of God's presence in the temple, there's a sense of anticipation. God is not going to leave the separation alone. God is pursuing us. He's not okay that we were separated from him. He's not okay that our disobedience brought about disconnection from him. He's pursuing us. And so there's the table of the bread of God's presence, the bread of God's face in the tabernacle. The very fact that the tabernacle is there means that God's presence desires to be with his people. And so there's anticipation. There's incarnation. We just finished celebrating the Christmas season. John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Incarnation is God himself putting on flesh and blood and coming down as one of us. Colossians 1.19, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. We said before, do we know God by our intuition? No, we actually know God through the revelation of Jesus because he came here. He put on flesh, he put on blood, and he came here. Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger, was crucified on a cross, was buried in a tomb, raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, where he presently rules as king of kings and lord of lords. And again, throughout the book of Revelation, John, the author, is reminding them, hey, I know this is against your intuition. I know it's not something you're going to figure out on your own. I know it seems like somebody else is ruling and reigning. But he says the revelation of Jesus Christ is this. He is on the throne of heaven, even that goes against your intuition. Friends, let me simply ask you a question. How often these days are you contradicting your sense of intuition? I could probably pretty much say this. The level to which you follow Jesus is going to increase the amount that you directly contradict your intuition. Every day of my life, the revelation of Jesus must contradict my intuition. Is it happening to you? Jesus ascends to heaven. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and dwells those who are followers of Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so after the ascension, the Holy Spirit comes down and indwells followers of Jesus with the personal presence of God. Right now, we're in this season of time right here. We'll call it expansion. We'll call it expansion. The rest of that verse next, 1-8, says this. 
that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's not just geographically. He's not simply kind of like drawing geographic concentric circles out from Jerusalem. And by the way, you can trace each of them. They go further and further out. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What he's also expressing there is that the story keeps moving even in our lives vocationally. Some of you are psychologists. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are professors. Some of you are in the field of health and medicine. Some of you are marketing. Some of you are in business. Some of you are in consulting. Some of you are uh, care for children at home. The perspective of Scripture is wherever you are, the gospel truth is moving into that area through the Holy Spirit as you're indwelled by Christ. If you're a mom, that might be your Jerusalem and Judea. It's not simply geographically these categories of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. It extends every part of life. And so wherever you are, the story of Scripture is you're not just going to like sitting, enjoying the indwelling of God's Spirit. Yes, you should do that. But you're also God's presence in the world wherever you live, wherever you do life. If you're raising a child, you're God's presence to that child. If you're caring for somebody who's elderly, you're God's presence to that person. If you're stock the shelves of a supermarket, you're God's presence to other employees and to customers in that supermarket. You're God's presence wherever you go. That's the vision of Scripture. And then as Revelation goes on, it takes us to the second coming of Jesus and the new creation. There's going to be a judgment. Again, we're going to talk about that. The books of life will be opened. That's what Scripture says. The books of life will be opened. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, a new creation, and that's where the story continues. Here's what I want to remind you, friends. God is not a static God. Sometimes we kind of mess up and we sort of connect the fact that God is unchanging with the fact that things should never change. Yes, God's character is unchanging, but here's what I want you to understand. God's character is unchanging, but God is constantly working and moving through you. God's constantly working and moving through his Holy Spirit. God's character is unchanging, but God is always changing things. God's character is unchanging, but he's always changing you. God's character is unchanging, but he's always at work through a storyline. God is at work through your storyline. The question is, throughout the day, Do you bring yourself back to the storyline? When you have feelings of longings or hardship or suffering, think, oh, yeah, that reminds me that I'm living in the storyline of being separated. When you're praying for your family, your kids, your spouse, your friends, do you take into account the Holy Spirit's at work? The Holy Spirit's involved in the storylines that I'm praying for. I can anticipate his work being involved in them. 
do you pray confident that God's at work through a storyline? God is unchanging in character. God is constantly, constantly changing you. God's constantly changing me. God's constantly on the move. And sometimes we, unfortunately, get locked in. And we think because God is unchanging that nothing ever changes. Listen, friends, God is constantly making you a new creation. You already are one in him, but he's constantly shaving off edges, smoothing off edges, sharpening other edges to make you more like himself. He's constantly changing you. We have a God who's constantly changing things. This storyline affects everything. What's some, what are some of the storylines of our world? Our world says this. Your primary storyline should be listening to your appetites. It's one of the storylines of our world. It's one of the storylines bombarding our ears as a culture. You are your appetites. And so the storyline for your life should be satiate your appetites as much as you possibly can. That's the storyline of our culture. We talked about finances a little bit earlier. The storyline of our culture is get as much as you can and give a little bit to make yourself feel better and to be a decent human being. You know, it's, it's good to do that. But get as much as you can. That's the storyline of our culture. The storyline of our culture is, unless I perform professionally, I'm a failure. Unless I'm an influencer, I'm a failure. That's a storyline of our culture. It's not the storyline of Scripture. The storyline of Scripture is that in Christ, you are his son, you are his daughter, you belong to the Most High God. That's the storyline of Scripture. The storyline of our culture is, your moment determines who you are. If you're a lonely person, if you experience depression, if you experience anxiety, if you experience fear, then you're just a fearful, depressed, anxious kind of person. That's the storyline of the world. It's not the storyline of Scripture. The storyline of Scripture says, yes, you may feel some of those things. You certainly will because there's separation. You'll feel some of those things, but it's not your identity. It's not who you are. Instead, who you are is a son or daughter of the Most High God. Listen, friends, this storyline has application to every single moment of your life. It has applications to your deepest longings. It has application to your deepest fears. It has application to your deepest ambitions. It has application to your deepest hopes and dreams. It touches your life in every single way possible. And the only way that you know your storyline is through the revelation of Jesus Christ. We won't, I'll just kind of finish with this. It's interesting that right after John mentions the work of the Trinitarian God, he says to the seven churches in the provinces of Asia. Let me just conclude by saying this. Sometimes church can seem peripheral to the work of God. And I get it. Church gets cluttered up with organizational stuff. It can get cluttered up with political stuff. 
It can get cluttered up with messy financial stuff. And as a pastor of a church, I realize all of that. The church is not about an organization. When John mentions the word church, he's not thinking of a building. He's talking about God's gathered people, them gathering together. And so I just want to say this. Make it a priority to be part of Jesus' church. Make it a priority to gather together. Make it a priority to bring yourselves together with other followers of Jesus, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to have God's good work catalyzed to activity in you. Be part of God's church. When John says grace and peace to you, he connects that to those who are part of churches that he's writing to. The church, our church is the end all and be all of following after Jesus? Absolutely not. Let me just tell you this. If Jesus, or the, I'm sorry, if coming to church is the lifeline of your spirituality, you're, you're going to be a deeply disappointed person. Because gathering together as a church should not be the lifeline of your personal relationship with God. It's a huge part of it. God uses our gathering times to strengthen us and sharpen us, to encourage and serve and love one another. He absolutely uses it. It's part of how he delivers his grace and peace to our lives. But it's not the sum total of how he's going to be at work in your life. And so I would encourage you as we begin 2023, make a commitment to being part of God's church Make a commitment to serving, loving, encouraging, giving, strengthening, exhorting, obeying. Be part of that. But don't ever think that that's somehow going to satisfy the true work that God wants to do in your heart and soul. If that's just a couple hours a week, one day a week, it's not going to get it done. It's a huge part of it. So for some reason, God ordained that his church is a central part of it. But it's not all of it. It's living in this story every day of our lives. Why don't we stand? And I'm going to ask our band to come out. And they're going to, you can stand for prayer. And they can, uh, you guys can take off the, uh, the board here. Now, in a moment, we're going to sing the song, Be Thou My Vision. And here's our prayer, friends. May the storyline of Scripture, may who God is, May how he's at work be our vision. What's your vision? Is your vision filling your intuition? Is your vision following after your appetite? What's your vision? What's the storyline that you're giving your life to? May God be our vision. May he be the storyline that we live by. So let's pray and then we'll sing the song. God, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. to live according to your vision. May you be our vision. May you be what drives us. May you shape our hearts, not just our brains, but our beings. May your Holy Spirit shape our beings. May your Holy Spirit shape what we love, what we're thirsty for, what we long for, what we desire. May your truth not just be what we know, 
But may your Holy Spirit change us. May we be filled with people, may we be people filled with grace and peace because we're following in the story of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sing the song together.
pray that we would live and dwell in your presence even as you desire to be present with us we ask this we pray this to the father in the name of Jesus his son and through the Holy Spirit and everyone who agreed said amen our team is down here to the right, our prayer team. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, please come up if you'd like that. God bless. Have a wonderful day. Amen.